This podcast is powered by you. To find out more, visit DiscussingTrek.com slash support. to Discussing Trek, a Star Trek Discovery podcast, an unofficial podcast about the CBS All Access series, Star Trek Discovery. Hi everyone and welcome and I'm your host Clarence Brown and today we're going to be doing a quick little review of Star Trek Discovery, Desperate Hours, a novel by David Mack. The book came out in September 2017, published by Paper Books. And from the jacket of the book itself, aboard the starship Shenzhou, Lieutenant Michael Burnham, a human woman raised and educated among Vulcans, is promoted to acting first officer. But if she wants to keep this job, she must prove to Captain Philippa Georgiou that she deserves it. She gets her chance when the Shenzhou must protect the Federation colony that is under attack by an ancient alien vessel that has surfaced from the deepest phantoms of the planet's dark, uncharted sea. As the minutes from this mysterious vessel grow stronger, Starfleet declares the colony expendable in the name of halting the threat. To save thousands of innocent lives, Burnham must infiltrate the alien ship. But to do so, she needs to face the truth about her troubled past and seek the aid of a man she has tried to avoid her entire life until now. Spoilers. Red alert. All hands stand the battle station. I'll give you the right. You cannot destroy an idea. At ease before you sprain something. There you have it, guys. That is the basic premise of what we're going to be talking about in Desperate Hours. Again, written by David Mack. The first Star Trek Discovery novel, which, uh, you know, if you're watching the series and you're into the series, the tie-ins in, in in this book, as well as, you know, some of the original series things that are talked about in this book are pretty freaking awesome. The events in this book take place uh, exactly one year prior to Discovery's first episode, The Vulcan Hello. So what is the book Desperate Hours all about? Well, we start on this planet, Sursa 3, where drilling operations are going on. And just to sum it up in a nutshell, I can mention names here, but for the book itself, the names don't really matter uh, in the end. There, there is a group of people on this drilling operation rig on Sursa 3 who the drill runs into what we figure out is something called a juggernaut. And it's just this big ship thing. That has lied dormant under the, 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 uh, oceans for a long, a really, really, really long time. Uh, and this drilling rig has actually hit it and awoken it. Long story short, what happens is that the rig gets destroyed by this juggernaut and not so much as in an, an attack, uh, per se, but it, I think more so in it arising from the bed of the sea after being awoken, it just totally kills the rig and sinks the rig. There's like three survivors and we see where these three survivors go to the main city or the capital of Sursa three in order to plead their case to the government officials there before, you know, going up into the drilling company uh, and, and, and trying to plead their case. So hopefully they won't face charges for, uh, what has happened? 
not long after they arrive here to plead their case, their case to the governor um, of the colony, a governor Kolova. We find that the capital city of Thursa three also um, starts to to be attract attacked by a drone. So, so we have these series of events. The drill hits this juggernaut that emerges from the sea. The city starts to get att- attacked by a drone, and really, this drone is just pounding the city. There is not much the people um, of the colonists can do to defend themselves. Their forces are pretty much decimated very quickly, and this leads to them actually sending a call for help and that to which the Shinzo uh, answers. Now, prior to that, uh, the Shinzo actually answering this call, we have this scene where we see that the two, the first and second officer for Captain Philippa Giorgio aboard the Shinzo are actually leaving. They have gotten new commissions for exemplary work and we have this kind of scene where uh, uh Giorgio is is giving them the send off the congratulatory send off to their new found commissions um in Starfleet and so it's left up to Giorgio to actually fill those positions and we find where she has promoted she has promoted uh Michael Burnham to First officer temporarily, and actually those orders came from Starfleet themselves to to give her this temporary uh, position as first officer pending, you know, uh, full approval. And so she's placed in this temporary position. The 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 best thing I found out about this whole sequence, this whole party sequence, and then you know, um, uh, eventually Giorgio pulling. Burnham to the side to actually talk about giving her this first officer position. What I found that I really liked about it early on, we get to see some of the, I'm not going to say turmoil, maybe some of the conflict between Burnham and Saru. We find out that Saru is, is, has been there longer, has been a Starfleet officer much, much longer. And they both have been moving through the ranks at a steady pace, but even from from Burnham's first arrival, we see where she has been kind of a thorn in his side. She's come on and moved through the ranks very, very quickly and has been sort of his adversary. You know, they even talk about it on the show proper of how these two have sort of this sister brother uh, conf- uh, confrontational relationship where they're always trying to one up each other. And, um, you know, they, they throw jabs at each other, which is seen early on in this book where, you know, Burnham kind of, kind of goes in on Saru and it's, it's very much a rival, rival type relationship. You know, one where, you know, on outside looking in, it looks like a relationship of admiration, but still there's this rivalry and there's this, um, conflict between the two where they're both moving through the ranks and trying to get on top. So, you know, this announcement from, uh, Giorgio that she's going to actually promote Burnham over Saru. It's, it's, is a very infuriating thing for Saru, but you know, he has to deal with it. Uh, the captain tells him, you know, uh, outside of your quarters, I don't want to see you show any emotion as to, to, uh, not being first officer, but being second officer. And Giorgio's all, also pretty, 
um, concerned about that this relationship between the two might cause some some ire uh, as they try to perform their duties. But but, you know, uh, she kind of puts Saru in his place uh, and he eventually well, I guess I'll say throughout the entirety of this book, he is learning to ex- accept it. And, you know, Burnham is there. Burnham has lots of things to learn, too. She um, is in this position where she doesn't really know she'd fit in among the humans from all of her. I think I want to say six to seven years aboard the Shinzo so far. But she has flourished. Um, she's rised up through the ranks, mo- mostly through recommendation, less so from her actually pursuing the next level. So that's one of Giorgio's concerns as well. But she is she is a rising star. You know, the the people at Starfleet have seen this. And, and um, I want to say Admiral Anderson, but she does get the recommendation to be the first officer. And, um, you know, this is a new thing for her to try to, um, you know, the first officer is all about the morale of the crew. And this is a new position for her to try to to be a little more emotional and thoughtful, which is um I'm not going to say she's like a black box, but she's very, ah, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, closed in. She's very closed in to, to people's thoughts and their feelings, of course, being raised, um, um, by a Vulcan that that's kind of natural, but she's changing. Um, she is under the wing of, of, of Captain Giorgio and, and we are we're seeing where she's put in this position and hopefully to flourish. This is kind of her test, her first test as as uh, acting first officer. And we'll see where it takes her. So uh, Cersei three sends out the hell Governor Kalova to actually get help from Starfleet to try to um, sub- subdue this threat that is actually destroying the capital and and raining fire upon them. So Captain Giorgio responds to the hail and she is headed to Sursa three to do what she can to to actually neutralize the threat. Meanwhile, we see where Captain Pike also sees the hail or, or gets the hail. But uh, and yeah, Captain that Captain Pike, Captain Pike from the Enterprise um also, here's the hell, but you know, I guess it's etiquette in Starfleet. Once you see one captain, t- captain taken, um, off to, to fix or neutralize a threat or fix a problem, it's kind of etiquette to just let them handle it unless they ask for additional help, I guess. So Pike, here's the hell, moves on and, and says, you know, uh, Captain Giorgio has this. Um, we're going to keep on our current mission. Um, but it does make him raise an eyebrow uh, as to the situation. Little do we find out later on that that Starfleet actually sends another message directly to Pike to go to the planet and and for him to override Giorgio and actually neutralize the threat because they know the the um they know what kind of threat they're actually facing. They know that this is a very serious thing. And uh, basically, they want Pike to take the Enterprise and go get glass the planet, you know, neutralize, neutralize the threat by any means necessary. And we see where when Pike finally does arrive, that there is this conflict between Pike and Giorgio to actually uh, what to do about the situation. 
um, uh, Giorgio was taking the opinion of we need to exhaust all options before um, going to the the nuclear option, uh, for lack of better words. And she's able, you know, having this seniority, she's able to kind of um, she's able to kind of sway Pike into giving time or hours, should I say, before they think the juggernaut will become an actual threat to to the planet and maybe even the solar system, maybe even the Federation as a whole. So there's this these this, this time frame or these hours that are counting down until um, the 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 glass the planet option is taken. And meanwhile, while this time is passing, we see where the whole point is to try to figure out how to neutralize this threat in a more humane way, uh, in a, in a way that will save the colonists. You know, there's not enough time to get all the colonists off the planet. So Georgia was t- trying to take the, the, the more humane option to, to get everybody off the planet. And, and Pike is over here trying to follow orders. And we see even one point where the Shinzo is placed directly in front of the enterprise to keep them from actually attacking the planet. So, you know, you have this struggle of, um, what's probably more morally right versus, versus, um, you know, following orders. And you have this thing of, do we need to do this now to maybe save more people later? So maybe there's, there's no good, you know, right now it's like, there's no good answer for what we actually, Right now, it looks like there's no good answer for what we actually have to do to to neutralize the threat. So uh, once the Shinzo gets there, we see where they send some a medical team down to the planet to try to assess the damage that that was done by the drone. And um, of course, of course, Shinzo shoots down the drone when they first get there. Get there. They send their team down to try to give medical attention. They get the drone, beam it up to the to the Shinzo, so they can analyze and try to figure out what is going on. And what's, what what they find out was really cool. They 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 find out that maybe the drones are suited to to adapt to whatever threat that they're facing. Which that is pretty cool to know because there's some cool, some, some pretty awesome things down the line that are affected by, uh, the juggernaut's ability to adapt, to, um, tailor itself to his enemies. And okay, so we see where Saru and Burnham go down to the juggernaut for the first time. Um, again, the juggernaut is at sea, so they're on the, the back of the juggernaut on the, out in the middle of the ocean. We see where they go out there to try to analyze and try to figure out something about the juggernaut. Um, and you know, Saru is all about the fear and <laughs> lo and behold, as you would guess, um, he starts to feel tremors coming from the juggernaut and he, his, his ganglia are on alert and, and we see where drones actually exit the juggernaut headed up for, for the Shinzo and you know, they are able to neutralize the threats fairly easily the first time. But again, that whole thing about the drones adapting, about this juggernaut adapting. So they figure out it's not going to be long before they are unable to neutralize this threat. So so that's kind of the struggle they're going with. And and again, let me go back to the point where where the Enterprise and the Shinzo are facing off against each other. Burnham sends a message to the science all science desk of of the enterprise or the science station excuse me of the enterprise and she sent it to to spock of course uh mr spock and 
And um, we see where it kind of sets up an opportunity to a diffuse the situation between ally between two Starfleet vessels, but B, you know, Burnham, which we've seen from Burnham, even in the show, uh, kind of what even gets her in trouble uh, going around protocol to actually get things done. And she does that to diffuse the situation between Pike and Giorgio. And eventually we see where it's slated for Burnham along with Spock, Mr. Spock to go down to the juggernaut and, and see what they can find in order to neutralize the, the juggernaut. So, so this is the point where I think the book really begins to take off because at this point, I think the book, you know, we have this big setup from Sursa three and this enemy and, you know, the captain's facing off, but I think it starts to pivot to the point where, where it's all about the team ups from, from that point on, it's all about the team up and, and the first, probably the most important team up, um, a, because of, because of family, because of this shared past, because, um, you know, maybe even tension that we don't know a whole lot about between the two. Um, and not only tension between Burnham and, and Spock, but tension between Spock and, and Sarek, uh, tension between maybe Spock and Amanda and maybe Spock seeing the, the admiration and love that was given to Burnham that was not given to him because him trying to be being raised Vulcan, you know, so very much attention between them two and the team up between them uh, proves to be pretty instrumental. But not only that, you have a team up between uh, Una, the first officer of the Enterprise. You have the team up between her along with Saru, which is to me was a beautiful matchup, beautiful matchup. So uh, I'll table Burnham and, and uh, uh, Spock for a minute. But the Saru Una team up where they go to the planet to map some or chart some caves that that gives them information that ultimately allows them to kind of kind of get a little more insight into who this a- actual juggernaut is uh and Saru's what I'm call it love of of the type of person that Una is the in the book it just seems like they really really click and he has this respect for her that you know I've there are a few people that I've seen him have their respect for. One of them is, is, uh, Captain Giorgio, but, but he, he has this respect for Una and almost his love for her. And it's a really interesting team up to see. Um, hopefully we'll see more of that in season two of Star Trek Discovery. But yeah, that, that was really awesome seeing them go down in this admiration and respect among the two and, and like-minded thinking, thinking that both of these, these characters have, I thought was, was, was really well done. And, they map this cave that allows them to actually de- decipher who this this juggernaut uh or this juggernaut uh comes from, which we find is from a long extinct Tyrian dynasty. Um and and this juggernaut is kind of just this remnant that was dormant dormant under the sea. Um and we know that these these Tyrians are all about or we're all about going to planets and, and, and pretty much having a dynasty of where they would, you know, if you don't want to join us, we're going to wipe you out, you know? So that's kind of what it was. Either you can join us and be a part of our dynasty, or we're going to decimate the planet and take over the planet. So again, this long dormant juggernaut from the Tyrian dynasty was awakened by this drilling platform 
And now Cersei 3 is in dire straits. Really, really cool stuff. Really awesome premise. And one of the things I found like really fascinating about this is that this, 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 this group of, uh, this alien, you know, even, even being billions of years or however older than, than our current generation, I like how that, um, the, the thing about them deeming a group of people worthy to join them rather than to be decimated is a series of tests, a series of adaptable tests. Sort of like how their drones are adaptable. We find out where these tests that they're given are adaptable and, and are suited to challenge the people just enough that are trying to, um, win these challenges. And, and that's kind of what we get with when we see Burnham and Spock actually eventually find a way to enter this juggernaut. They are presented with just a series of different tests. Um, all of them almost deadly, you know, all of them, they barely managed to get out of there alive. Yes. So I think the main part or the, the main thing we should get from this is that is given an opportunity for these two to work together as they have, haven't done before, get to know each other. And, you know, by the end of it, they actually become so intimately close to each other. It seems like a relationship I would love to see in the show itself. Um, cause this, this, this book does seem like a really good, you know, episode or maybe even a movie that could take place in the, the Star Trek Discovery universe. Really love it. So before I give the kind of ending of what happens to these trials that Burnham and that Michael Burnham and Mr. Spock go through, I want to kind of back up just a little bit and talk a little bit about what's happening to the colony colony themselves. Uh, Saru, along with one of his junior officers, discover that when the planet was initially mapped, um, that things were hidden things were overlooked that should have been called out um if i'm remembering cor- correctly there's this policy that if there is sentient life aboard the planet they cannot colonize the planet so this is hidden this is covered up and we find where governor kolova and group have pretty much been hiding what really went on you know they knew that there was a possibility that there could have been sentient life on this planet before them before they came to colonize it and that's like that's a big no no and so we see where Clova is in this struggle as well against Starfleet uh Pike in in, in uh Philippa Giorgio to to kind of she doesn't want them even though she needs their help she desperately desperately needs their help she doesn't want them there she doesn't want him there. And ultimately it's because, you know, she, they, they are, they wanted to be an independent colony. They didn't want a lot of Federation involvement, but you know, with the pending threat, they really have no choice. And we also see where we also see where, you know, we see Kalova is in a bit of wrongdoing, you know, her and even some of her officials around her and, you know, uh, they, <laughs> Giorgio is given in the threat of being sent to a penal colony. And, you know, she's kind of put between a rock and a hard place. So what are you going to do? Are you going to accept the wrong that you've done? Or are you going to, you know, dig your heels a little bit deeper and, and escalate the situation? And, th- and 
that's ultimately what Kalova did. She uh, took her group of people, went down even further into the planet, into some of the, the, the trenches, caves of the planet. And uh, the team from Starfleet comprised mostly of medical officers that went down to aid the 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 injured are 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 sent to try to you know they're trying to find out where these where they are because you know they have they ultimately have to be apprehended and 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 taken into custody so there you have it. you have this, this this governor that's defiant unwilling to follow orders that is not really helping starfleet who's there to help them but is really uh, another confrontational uh, part of the book itself. And, you know, <laughs> it gets to this point where she actually intercepts transmissions or her team, her team intercepts transmissions and she figures out that they want to glass the planet. And when that happens, Oh my gosh, um, she, they go and they take star, the Starfleet members who are there to aid everyone. She takes them hostage. So just this whole struggle of the capital and the planet and the, the governor, um, not really cooperating just adds another bit of conflict to the book itself. But getting back to the ultimate conflict, conflict, which is the juggernaut and these drones that are, are actually going, being launched from the juggernaut to attack the Shinzo and the Enterprise. And we see where the Enterprise and the Shinzo eventually work together to figure out a way that may allow them to penetrate this 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 these ships defenses which to this point we found to be impenetrable impenetrable um they are trying to avoid using avoid using torpedoes on the surface because that's the thing that could actually destroy the planet so they're trying to find other ways to actually uh nullify the ship without with the least amount of casualty and that's the ultimate struggle that's going on that's why we have burnham and and uh spock on the planet trying to figure out another way and time is running out because there's going to come to a time that maybe this juggernaut has adapted so much that even that anything they do will not be enough to neutralize this threat and again we have burnham and spock uh, going through these series of tests inside the juggernaut itself to try to figure out a way to to uh, neutralize it and these are not easy tests that that our our heroes are given they are very they're tests that leave them in dire straits almost leave them dead leave them you know <laughs> risk of getting limbs cut off and ultimately all the tests are dwarfed by by burnham's and spock's intelligence by their observations, by their eventual teamwork. Um, and we see where all the tests have to be completed as a group. And some of them are almost impossible. There's this one where, where there are these laser, um, saw things going across and only one of, there's only time enough for one of them to get through because there's levers that have to be pushed in so many different ways and all of them are time sensitive and all of them go back to their original state. So Burnham has to do this very complicated sequence to get a path cleared and there's only enough time for really one person to go through. You know, they, they've run all these permutations through their tricorder and they figured that there's no way both of them can make it. But we see in that test where Spock actually, Spock actually does something by putting his tricorder in between one of the blades and allowed Burnham to barely make it through. So, I mean, just a series of tests like that, all of them very deadly that they, 
just barely make it through, barely make it through. And that's a very fun part of the book, even though it's kind of, you know, <laughs> uh, painful to see our, our heroes go through some of that. It made it very interesting to see these two people who don't really know each other, uh, begin to work together and solve all of these tests. Yeah. So, so what is it in the Spock burn relationship that is so weird? So we know they were raised together. We do know that we know that, but yet we still, we know there seems to be some gap between the two. There seems to be some misunderstanding. And I think we, we learn a lot of good backstory in this book. We learn in large part that there's this, this, this hitting, hidden resentment. Um, that, you know, is resentment and emotion. The Spock really need to have that. <laughs> um, but we see that, that, that Spock is burying this, this thing where this emotional thing that where he has seen the affection that his human mother, Amanda, has given to, to Burnham, um, as they grew up. Some of the affection that she could not give to Spock because of his, his Vulcan upbringing. Uh, she actually has given that to, to Burnham and, and there's a lot of resentment on Spock's part for not being able to embrace that because he was embracing his Vulcan roots. And we see where that is one of the things that kind of drove a, a wedge between them. And we see where ultimately it seemed like the, the, they both had a very, very hard life. I mean, one being cause Spock is half human, half Vulcan, and he's being erased among Vulcans. And then we see where Burnham is a, is a human being raised among Vulcans. So while we, it seems like they should have had more similarities, um, they were not seemingly not really close growing up. And of course I think Burnham is a, is a bit older, um, as well. So what does it mean? What does it mean? They get to this one challenge where they have to mind mail to conquer the challenge. This one test, this one challenge, they have to mind mail. And it seemed like at the moment they mind mail, it opened up the floodgates. And to me, this is the best part of the book because it goes into these scenes of where we are reliving some of the past events and the way it's told in the book is really cool as well, because we begin to take the point of view of each of these characters and we put the opposite character into that situation because it is a mind mill. So they are, for instance, some of Burnham's early memories of, you know, actually hearing her parents get killed, her um, persuading her parents to stay, uh, are actually relived by Spock in these memories. And that kind of allows Spock to get a point of view of who, Bur who Burnham actually is. Then the flip side, we see where Spock being teased, uh, among his Vulcan peers and Burnham is put into his psyche, his situation for that. And she can experience some of the, the upbringing that he had that may have shaped him as well. So it's a series of these events where they're both kind of reliving each other's um, memories that draws them a little bit closer and gives them a little further understanding of who they actually are and, and, and why they are more alike than different. And ultimately this gives them this, this respect among each other, this admiration. And along with that, it will allows them to understand why maybe, uh, Sarek doesn't 
give the affection to, of course he wouldn't because he's a Vulcan, but, but, but doesn't show that admiration for Spock like he should have. You know, Spock not going to the Vulcan Learning Center, um, or Vulcan Science Academy, but actually going, joining Starfleet. And he really thinks, Spock really thinks that Sarek does not love him like he should, but no love is human emotion. And, and, um, he gets this understanding through Burnham that, you know, Sarek actually does, you know, in his own way, uh, have this admiration and respect and love for Spock. So we get things like that from the Vulcan mind mill. And ultimately, you know, they defeat the last challenge and, um, they are able to do something aboard the juggernaut that allows, um, the enterprise along with the Shinzo to actually defeat the juggernaut. So that's kind of how it ends. And, and um, we left with Burnham getting the ultimate, ultimate, uh, assignment as XO. um, and I think we leave leave with a more a bit more content Saru, and we get this get this good decent in, uh, insight into the Enterprise. I know I didn't really go into Captain Pike, but to me we get ca- uh, classic Captain Pike here. We see Captain Pike, um, his character pretty much is order driven. He is trying to follow protocol to the best of his ability, but we see where maybe Giorgio has. Those same tendencies, but hers is peppered in a little bit, a little bit more experience, a little bit more emotion. And she is willing to go the extra mile to maybe prevent a bad thing from happening at all costs. Where maybe we see Pike is a little more. We need to follow orders. We need to do this immediately. But they they work together and they do ultimately solve the problem as a team. And it was really fun to see um, Pike and, and Giorgio work together. Their team, and not just them, but their teams work together to to solve this these problems. And, you know, we see where <laughs> it is really weird to me because it just doesn't sit right. But I, I guess it's true in this canon. But the Enterprise is more advanced than the Shinzo, which uh, seems like I keep alluding that the Shinzo is a really old ship. So I'm really surprised to see what the Enterprise actually looks like on season two of Star Trek Discovery. Because, you know, um, of course, the show was made years and years and years ago. So let's see how they actually update the Enterprise to, to 2018, 2019 to, to see how it looks or how it differs but yeah so apparently Shinzo is an older ship and has you know the the phaser banks are different and it is a very different style they mentioned some of the style of the ship and how things are a little bit different but but yeah I'm, I'm really curious to to see how it's actually portrayed in the show and maybe we even get to see Spock and Burnham reunite to um have maybe another adventure. Um, who, who will we see playing Spock? Uh, I don't think that's been announced or we heard any leaks of that. Of course we have Anton. Um, Oh, excuse me, not Anton. Uh, Anson Mount, um, coming in to actually play Captain Christopher Pike. So that should be very interesting, uh, to see how he's actually portrayed in the show proper. And, you know, I'm just really excited for season two. Now there are other books that we do need to cover, as well but again this is desperate hours that's kind of my takeaways i know i missed a lot i really didn't go into detail but i kind of just wanted to give an overview of what kind of happens of course they eventually 
thwart the last challenge. They uh, burn them and Spock are able to go and do some internal damage to the juggernaut along with the, 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 the Chinzo and the Enterprise working together to, to figure out a phaser configuration that act, will actually work to actually destroy the juggernaut. And yeah, it's just, I, I consider it a really good book. It would make a really good episode or movie, I feel. And yeah, I kind of recommend checking it out. I actually read the audiobook. Did you call it reading? I listened to the audiobook and probably read half the book before I kind of gave up and said, okay, I'm going to do the audiobook just because of time. And, uh, I can listen while I work. So that's kind of the approach I took, but I do suggest checking it out. It's a really good book and we definitely have to dive into the other books, which is drastic measures, uh, featuring Giorgio and, um, and Captain Lorca. And then maybe we can eventually go into the Saru novel, uh, fear itself. So yeah, guys, that is all for now. Um, if you're new to the podcast, Definitely make sure you subscribe by going to discussingtrek.com. We're available on all the various outlets. And uh, if you like what you've heard, leave us a review. And also check out our Patreon, which is at patreon.com slash discussingtrek. Uh, thank you for listening. I'm Clarence. And until next time, guys, live long and prosper. Thanks for listening to the Discussing Trek podcast. For more information, go to discussingtrek.com slash subscribe.